Welcome in to the Corner Three. Taking you around the arc of college basketball. From the NAAC to the Pac-12, the WCC to the SWAC. We cover it all now on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. Welcome to it on a Monday night as a part of Ticket Weeknights. This is the Corner 3. I am Austin Norman. You also hear me on the block from 2 to 4 uh, with Eric Strickland. And I'm also behind the board running things for DP and J on Old School from 4 to 6 Central Time. Whether you're listening uh, on our free mobile app for your phone, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, or Allo Channel 951, we welcome you to the show. If you have any questions, anything on your mind, college basketball related, we are happy to get to it. The number 402-464-5685 to the Sarder Heyman text line. Or again, if you're watching on one of our streams, you can comment right there. If it's on Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, or Twitter, it pops across. We see it and we will do our best to address it over the course of the next hour and change. Three topics for today. A few big ones. Number one is going to be Chris Collins at Northwestern. Why? Because of everything going down with football and also the baseball program, what is Chris Collins' role in the athletic department? We'll touch on that. The second order of business will be a foreign trip overview. I don't want to call it a recap, and I don't want to call it a preview, uh, because one of the foreign trips that will go over, uh, Matt's Kentucky Wildcats had a good showing up in Canada, uh, but Nebraska basketball has yet to go to Spain, and Oklahoma State also has a trip coming up. So we'll get Landon's overview of the season for the Pokes, where they're going, uh, what to look forward to. And then uh, we sh- we were sharing this tweet around in our group chat last night, uh, the basketball tournament coming back. It's been around since 2014. A fantastic tournament, 64 teams playing for a million dollars. Lots of uh, alums of teams or of schools put a team together to participate in this tournament. Kansas's roster came out. We'll go over just how stacked it is. But of course, to keep it topical, to keep it local, we will, of course, build our own Nebraska men's basketball uh, TBT team. So put yours together. Find eight Husker basketball players uh, that would still be playing, you know, hypothetically playing uh, at, at their age right now. What's the best current Nebraska basketball TBT team you can come up with? Tweet it at Austin underscore Orman or text your players in at least your starting lineup to 402-464-5685. We'll get to that in segment number three of the show. All right. So diving into the first order of business with Chris Collins at Northwestern. This thought crossed my mind when everything was going down with Pat Fitzgerald in the football locker room, and then Jim Foster in baseball and the clubhouse. Been a really rough week and a half, couple weeks for Northwestern since the allegations first came out on a Friday. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald then fired on a Monday. The Jim Foster news came out at the same time. Northwestern had a a bigger issue with football on its plate. So the the Jim Foster news wasn't necessarily pushed to the side by Northwestern, but it wasn't, you know, as high on the priority list. They had to take care of everything going on with football first. So then the next day, Jim Foster officially let go after just one year in charge of Northwestern. And really what that does is it leaves a hole in terms of the face of the Northwestern Athletic Department. Were Jim Phillips still around? I would make the case he's the face. A well-known guy, been on committees, well-respected, thought to be in the running for Big Ten commissioner. Uh, Once Jim Delaney retired, that job goes 
to Kevin Warren, as we all know. And Jim Phillips leaves Northwestern, uh, his athletic director post, to go out to the ACC to become the ACC commissioner. And things are certainly going for old Jimmy P out there in the ACC. Something's going well, uh, but of course, the, the biggest issue in college sports right now is the money. The ACC is getting left in the dust by the SEC and the Big Ten in terms of their TV deal. So that's what's on Jim Phillips' plate. Instead of everything going on at Northwestern, I wonder if we'll ever know just how involved uh, he was with anything going on at Northwestern, if any of these allegations had been brought to him previously, or Jim Phillips, who has been gone for a couple years now to be the ACC commissioner, if all of this happened was reported after he left. I'd be curious to find out the answer to that. But that brings me back around to Chris Collins. So some background on Chris Collins, uh, his dad, Doug Collins, really well-known former NBA player, uh, played on the USA Olympic team. Uh, Doug Collins from the, the from Illinois, from the Chicago area, Glenbrook North, uh, to be specific. He goes to Duke eventually, uh, All-ACC rookie team uh, after his freshman year, uh, team captain and second team All-ACC in 93. Uh, played in Finland, of all places, professionally for a couple of years after he was done at Duke, um, but then got into coaching. He coached in the WNBA. Uh, he was with the Detroit Shock. Nancy Lieberman was the head coach. He went to Seton Hall for a couple of years uh, to coach under another former Duke guy in Tommy Amaker. But then after uh, those two seasons, 98-99 and 99-2000 at Seton Hall, Chris Collins makes the jump back to Duke. So he's an assistant coach for eight years, and then he's the associate head coach uh, from 2008 to 2013. Bill Carmody was the guy at Northwestern uh, in March of 2013 before he got fired. Uh, Collins brought up pretty quickly after that as a primary target. And yeah, just you know, a couple few weeks after Carmody was fired, uh, Chris Collins returns home to Illinois, the greater Chicago area, to be the head coach of Northwestern. It's crazy to think that he's been at Northwestern for 10 seasons. You don't think of him as a you know a spring chicken as one of the new coaches, but he's been at Northwestern for a decade now, and it's been a real mixed bag for Chris Collins. His first couple of years, they were below 500. Uh, they went 14 and 19 his first year, 15 and 17 his second. Made a pretty good run in 2015-16. They end up with 20 wins, don't make the NCAA tournament field, and that's where you start to wonder if the seat's getting hot for Chris Collins, even at a place like Northwestern, but they turn around in the 2016-17 season. They go to the NCAA tournament. They win their first round game before falling to Gonzaga in the second round of the NCAA tournament. If you, if you look up crying Northwestern kid, that, that picture comes from that game. And that is Jim Phillips son actually is the, the crying Northwestern kid. Uh, but Chris Collins on the board after his fourth season in Evanston, the next year, they start the season ranked in the AP Top 25. They start that season out ranked 19th, uh, but that's as high as they get. They'd fall back below 500 on the season to finish at 15 and 17. And that was the first of five straight losing seasons for the Cats. They dropped to 13 wins, then down to single digit wins um, across the two years impacted by COVID, 8 and 23 in 2019-20, and then that next season, they go 9-15, and 15, only getting 24 games in. Uh, they did get as high as 19th early in the, the non-conference slate, uh, but then they, they fell back off. Another subpar season two years ago, they end up a game below 500 before bouncing back last year 
Um, I think really between uh, Chase Adij and Boo Booey, they were the engines of that Northwestern team. Um, they make the NCAA tournament. They win a game before bowing out in the second round. Um, Adij is gone, uh, declared for the draft, kept his name in. Boo Booey does return. So Northwestern, I think, will be a minor factor in the Big Ten. I think that's still a top half team, if I had to guess. But I don't think there are anyone I would you know take overly seriously for the Big Ten title uh, quite to the degree that they were in that conversation this year. But again, this conversation is less about Northwestern basketball and more about Chris Collins and his role. With Pat Fitzgerald, who was without a doubt the face of the athletic department, gone, uh, with Jim Phillips having left a few years ago, it falls on Chris Collins. Women's basketball has been up and down. Softball is a good program, but won't ever be in the limelight to the same degree as a basketball or a football program. Um, so to me, with Chris Collins' tenure, with the, the success he's had last year, to me, he's the face of this athletic department right now. I think you're propping him up as you know the guy who's done it the right way, who's built, who's seen his share of struggles in his time at Northwestern. Um, but it's paid off with a couple runs again in year four and in year 10, a couple NCAA tournament appearances and, and a win each time. So I think there's even more responsibility on Chris Collins plate right now because there has to be. I don't think there's anyone in that athletic department that is as forward facing as he is right now, especially given his success last year. Does that do anything to change the outlook for Northwestern? I don't know. Again, Chris Collins has been at some big time programs. Like we mentioned, his dad, I mean, even starting off with his dad's career, then you go to Duke, you get a little notoriety or a fine player there, and then you jump right into coaching at Seton Hall, which is a solid program. Uh, you go to Duke, you're an assistant, you're sitting by Coach K the entirety of your time there, and then you make the jump to a Big Ten school, albeit one without much of any basketball history at all. But you come back home, you come back to the Chicago area to be the head coach. So there is more pressure on Chris Collins right now. Again, I think he's safe. He shouldn't have a hot seat given what he did last year. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they, like I said, take a slight step back from that, maybe more an NCAA tournament bubble type of team. But Chris Collins, I think, really has to continue to carry that banner for Northwestern Athletics for a few years now. I think that it's of paramount importance that he continues to do things, you know, quote unquote, the right way, avoid scandal, avoid issue, impropriety, all those sorts of, you know, negative things, because I don't think Northwestern can afford much more upheaval. As not great as their football team was, Pat Fitzgerald turned it into at least something. And it still brings in money because it's in the Big Ten and it's playing football and it's on TV. Men's basketball earned its share of the pie, right? With an NCAA tournament win. It got a couple of those units for Northwestern, and that's huge. So to me, if I'm the Northwestern administration, I'm doing everything I can to support Chris Collins right now. I'm amplifying that program. Boo Booey's been on campus forever. That's a voice I think I'm amplifying in the community because that's what you have going for you right now, plain and simple. So that's what I'll be watching for Northwestern. How does uh, Chris Collins, how does Boo Booey handle that spotlight in Evanston throughout Big Ten play? All right, I'm going to step aside here. You've heard enough of me. We're going to welcome in Matt and Landon after this break. Matt will recap uh, Kentucky's trip up 
it confused me every time they were listed as Team USA in these global games, uh, but it was just Kentucky. So we'll get the rundown on how that went. We'll hear from Landon. He'll tell us about Oklahoma State's upcoming trip. Who's he watching out for? What's the objective of the trip? And then we'll all put our heads together and discuss the Nebraska trip to Spain. That's coming up. They head out on July 28th. We're previewing it now because there won't be a show next week. We'll do all that foreign trip stuff, the, the overview, when we get back here on the Corner 3. Back to the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. Here is your host, Austin Orman. That's right. We're back here on the Corner 3, 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Also streaming worldwide, Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter, as well as Allo Channel 951. If you're an Allo subscriber, definitely file that, fire that up. We're excited to uh, have Allo be on board here with 93.7 The Ticket. Still hoping to get that switched over to Channel 937 at some point. But we welcome in the fellas, Matt and Landon here on the corner three we're jumping into foreign tours gents how did you guys prep for this because matt you have one to recap for us landon rocking the utsa hat again you have one to preview for us uh let's start with the recap matt kentucky at global jam representing team usa i guess what was that all about so fun fact actually you mentioned that as kind of the tease going into the break and that got me thinking this wasn't the first time kentucky's rep team usa so I kind of went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole during the break. And in 1948, Kentucky won the NCAA championship and then represented Team USA in the Olympics in London. But I looked up that 1948 Olympic basketball team and it was kind of a merger between Kentucky and this like semi-pro-ish team called the Phillips 66ers, which was like, I don't know, whatever they had for people after college to play basketball in before the NBA and ABA started. And this Phillips 66ers was like based out of a small town in the middle of Oklahoma and had several Oklahoma State alums or players on it as well. So, so yeah, it was kind of fun fact that uh, Landon and I's teams kind of combined to, you know, lead Team USA to gold and right after winning World War II there. So, yeah, that would have been like the golden era of Oklahoma State <laughs> basketball in like the 1940s. I believe that was the decade in which, well, then Oklahoma A&M won its two, um, two national championships. That was like the peak, the pinnacle. So, yeah. I'm sure that. And there was also looking at the roster, there was a guard from Baylor named Jackie Robinson, who's. Whoa. Yeah, his real name is his real first name is Robert, but then okay. his name was Robert Jackson Robinson, and he went by Jackie Robinson. So <laughs> surely there was no confusion there. And he also, I see on Wikipedia, just died last February at a ripe young age of ninety-four. So rest in I peace, Jackie Robinson. Okay, you bring you bring up Philip sixty sixers Landon as someone as a kid that grew up in the Midwest. I assume you grew up watching the Big Twelve on ABC, sponsored by Philip sixty six. Yes, uh, and the old the Big Twelve used to kind of sort of have a network, kind of uh, yeah. back in like that era, like two thousand and four or five to like 2010 or 11. Uh, those are some great commercials. You got the Philip 66 ones are really good. Motel six. Those were really good. <laughs> and Whataburger. Uh, 
those were the days for for those three brands because those would be on every commercial break. Uh, I never got Whataburger up here in Lincoln. Really? Uh, I think it's in Wisconsin. Yeah, it's, they did in Kansas, and they haven't been here until like just now when Patrick Mahomes like has purchased franchisees right. and put them in Kansas City. But before then, no, Whataburger was not in Kansas, at least nowhere around where I live. Um, but yeah, those would be on too. But yes, Motel 6 and Phillips 66, that's like the, the holy grail of those old like Big 12 network commercials. It was, a, it was a big moment in my childhood when I think I had to get straight A's or something in elementary school, and then my parents decided to buy uh, ESPN full court on direct TV. So I could Yo. watch all those out of market college basketball games. And yes, I ve- like ingrained in my mind is like the, and keep in mind, I had like no ties to Nebraska, but that like half semicircle basketball at the free throw line yeah. and the Philip 66 logo in like the ESPN graphic. And yes, so many Philip 66 commercials that, that just hit all of the the nostalgia for me. <laughs> That's incredible. Uh, take us through Canada, Kentucky and Canada. Well, going in, it was kind of like expectations were pretty low. I mean, they barely had it. The team was six players just a few weeks ago. Then they make a few additions. They had Jordan Burks from uh, one of those overtime elite prep schools. Uh, they added Joey Hart, who didn't even really play in this trip. And then they added Trey Mitchell uh, from West Virginia just a third, like two weeks ago, they added him. And then also got good news that Antonio Reeves was coming back. So they only had 10 days to practice with a team of mostly freshmen in a U23 tournament. So the Global Jam is some new thing they're doing up in Canada. I think it's annual now. It was in Toronto. Last year, Baylor represented the United States in it and went one and four in it and lost the gold medal game somehow. So expectations were low, but then I looked at that team Canada. I don't even remember who Brazil won the event last year. Don't know who was on their team, but team Canada had uh, Marcus, Marcus Carr and Leonard Miller. So future NBA players, but this year's team, it was just a lot of like a lot of these other teams were like players from mid major schools, like a guy, uh, one of the Canada guys was the like America East defensive player of the year at Maine. So it wasn't as loaded, but still barely had any time to practice. It's a young team. And also like peach jam was last week as Austin talked about. So all of the assistants were pretty much out in Atlanta and or Augusta and elsewhere doing recruiting last week. So they didn't really like Cal said, they didn't even, install any defense they only worked on offense but uh vibes are much higher after watching them so yeah they they played four games and they won all four uh fairly easily they beat a german team uh oh and i forgot to mention that also one of their they have two big men on this raw three now with trey mitchell trey mitchell played but aaron bradshaw got surgery and is out for six weeks or or six months, something like that. He'll be ready by October, they're saying. And then in a scrimmage the night before the first game, Ugana Onyenzo, their sophomore center, who reclassified and really didn't play much last year, but expectations are kind of high for him this year, uh, hurt his ankle really bad and apparently might be needing surgery on that. So that's a a tough blow, but he did not get to play in any of the games that were on TV. 
So they beat Germany, a German team on yeah Wednesday in the first game. Then they blew out Canada, who was – those two are probably the two best teams. And then they beat the African select team, which they blew them out in a scrimmage before this whole thing. And then they added, like, three new players. And Africa actually gave them a pretty good run in the second half and got the, the game down within four or six points uh, before Kentucky kind of pulled away and held on. And then in the gold medal match, they – I mean, Canada put up a good fight, but Kentucky led from start to finish. So all in all, it was good just to – it's always good just to see your team play in the summer, get uh, get acquainted with some new faces and, you know, get reacquainted with some of the guys you liked from last year that are back. So it was it was fun to spend uh, a few days this week watching Kentucky basketball on TV. It was on CBS Sports Network. You were blowing up our group chat with <laughs> one name and one name only. Reed Shepard, describe him. Yeah, Reed Shepard was someone, he's kind of, two, three years ago, he was the most important recruit in uh, available in this class because he's from Kentucky. Cal wasn't getting a lot of these Kentucky kids. He just kind of overlooked them. And his dad was, uh, I mean, he was a Final Four most outstanding player for Kentucky in the, the 1998 NCAA tournament when they won their second to last title. And his mom was like a really good basketball player too. So he was blowing up on the high school ranks. Virginia was recruiting him hard. So he was one of those like must get guys. But then, you know, as DJ Wagner rose to prominence, Rob Dillingham decommitted from NC state. And then, you know, Aaron Bradshaw, he was kind of the forgotten guy of, well, he probably won't play that much this year, but he'll be a big piece developmental wise for a few years. But he, he, yeah, he stole the show. He was all these, all three or four games, he was very impressive. He didn't make a shot in the first game, but then he just blew up in the second and third games. And he ended up averaging around nine points per game, but also had like two blocks per game, six assists per game. So it was, he was blocking three point shots. He had one highlight where he, he blocked a dude's three point shot and then took the ball and went coast to coast. He had very nice uh, passing, and I mean, I said in the group chat last night, he his skill set athleticism does make you think of Grayson Allen without some of the you know the tripping and Grayson Allen parts. Who knows? Like maybe that'll happen come the regular season, but uh, but yeah, no, he was kind of one of the big revelations of this trip. There was rumors that he was you know playing well in the summer workouts, but to see him do it in a game, especially against. I mean, as an 18-year-old against a lot of, you know, 21 to 23-year-olds on these other teams, it was pretty impressive. And they were they were frustrated that this 18-year-old kid from middle of nowhere, Kentucky, was just kind of dominating them at times. If he's anything like Grayson Allen, he'll have his moment in the Final Four. So just keep that in mind. Well, his dad was the most outstanding player in the Final Four, so and also hit – uh, he avenged the 1992 Duke Kentucky game by hitting a three that ha- gave Kentucky the lead after trailing by 18 in the second half against Duke in the Elite Eight. So, a little bit of connection between our two teams, Austin. There, <laughs> not as that nice. As as <laughs> oh, oh no, not nearly as friendly. I wasn't alive for it though. That predates me, so my oh, hands gosh, are clean a bit. Um, anything, <laughs> anything else that stands out to you about Canada before we preview a couple trips? 
Uh, yeah, I should probably talk about the guy that eventually was named the most outstanding player of this event. And that was Antonio Reeves. I I mean, we talked about it. Player we available at transfer portal, Antonio. Yeah. Reeves. There's a reason Jeff Goodman has him listed as the best player available in the transfer portal currently. Um, someone's going to get a really good player uh, in him. And I think it might be Kentucky. Call me crazy. Um, I mean, we talked about it in the Kentucky episode where I didn't really see the importance in him, but he, I kind of didn't value as much the fact of, Oh, he'd be in his second year at Kentucky. He'd be used to, you know, the level of competition. He did finish last year strong. And I mean, he led them in scoring. He made 18, he went, he shot 56% from three. He was 18 for 32 was scoring 23 points per game. I mean, only game he didn't get over 20 was I think he got in foul trouble on in yesterday's gold medal game. So he was a revelation. Also, I wanted to mention Landon's scouting report of Trey Mitchell was spot on. He's a guy that when you're in a little bit of a rut, uh, you go to him and he'll either get you an open three, a little jump hook, or go to the rim. Uh, defensively, little bullish on him. Still, there's, there's work to be done, but uh offensively that's a that's an intriguing piece that I'm fascinated to see but I think just as a whole the the big takeaway I mean also DJ Wagner looked very good you can tell like yeah that's an NBA level talent um but as a whole the offense I think part of it was having zero big men available but the fact of the matter was they took 117 three-point attempts over four games they were playing a much more modern style that uh than Cal's teams have played in recent years. And I think part of that is they do have so many ball handlers. I mean, you've got Antonio Reeves, DJ Wagner, Rob Dillingham, uh, Reed Shepard played a little bit of point. Uh, in emergency situations, a Duthiero even can play points. So just having that many options, it yeah, they're going to play with a lot more spacing and hopefully the the style continues into the regular season, but they, they've got some shooters and, Aaron Bradshaw apparently is another guy that he's supposedly a seven footer with some range. If he, if he can get healthy by the regular season. I heard that about Derek Wively. Didn't really see it. Good. Yeah, that, that's why I'm skeptical. <laughs> you never believe high school guys will transition to be good shooters in college until you actually see it. That's, that's my general rule. It's done. Good for a trip. Good 4-0 trip up to Canada for Kentucky. All right, let's do the previews now. Landon, heading over to you, Oklahoma State and Nebraska basketball. Uh, probably not crossing paths in Spain, but that's where the Pokes are headed. What's on your docket? What are you watching out for with the Pokes up there? Yeah, uh, super quick, Ari, Kentucky. I'm glad you mentioned to do theory right at the end because as someone that kind of just took in what Kentucky did through clips and articles and highlights on Twitter. That's a guy that really, really interests me just like as an overall talent. I looked back cause the name wasn't familiar to me. I know we talked about him before, but a guy that barely played last year, that is a very, very interesting player to like watch his development throughout this season. Is he going to carve out a little bit of a niche? That's a guy that like could be a potential like first round talent. Like there's a lot there and his body seems to be still developing too from yeah. like, 
the accounts that I read. I read uh, Kyle Tucker's piece in The Athletic just that sort of summarized the trip. Um, so not necessarily probably this year, but maybe next year. That's a guy I'm super curious to watch. Um, and also Trey Mitchell being awesome in the high post, seeing clips of that uh, was super cool too because that's, yes, that's the guy. But for it's Oklahoma nice State, it's not happening to your team. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's really nice. <laughs> but on the Oklahoma State, um, I guess sort of front, it's interesting because obviously the trip's been announced for a couple of months now that they're going to Spain. These sort of foreign trips, uh, at least trips like the ones Oklahoma State and Nebraska are going on, are ones that are generally done every four to five years. The pandemic sort of threw a wrench in that, which is why a lot of teams are finally able to go now and why there are so many happening this summer because COVID kind of messed a lot of things up and a lot of international travel. So yes, Oklahoma State is also going to Spain. I don't know who they're going to be playing. That hasn't been announced yet. Uh, I tried to do some digging on that and the best thing I could find was it's happening, you know, from this window to this window, nothing else. So I'm sure that there are probably some things that are still being finalized on that front. But as far as some things I'm looking out for, um, oh wait, first my fun fact. Uh, So like, as I mentioned, uh, these trips aren't super common, uh, but Oklahoma State in 2012, uh, they went under Boynton in 2018 as well. I think that was his second year or first year. Um, but before then, the last time they went uh, on a foreign trip was in 2012. Uh, they went to Spain, and that was another year where they were bringing in a talented freshman recruiting class, uh, two talented freshmen in particular being Marcus Smart and Phil Forte. So it's funny now, uh-huh. 11 years later, Oklahoma State is going back to Spain. I can't remember if they had a top 10 recruiting class when they brought in Smart and Forte. I'm sure they were probably pretty close. Um, but it's just funny that like 11 years later now, they're going back to Spain. They have a top 10 recruiting class and that's just how this is shaking out. So that's just like a funny little parallel. Probably means nothing, but I just thought that was like an interesting little tidbit. Just like, ah, oh, there you go. That was that year. because That 2012 class was ranked 42nd. Ah, well, you know, the, the one, the one headliner there probably, because I was looking through the rest of the roster. I'm like, it really, that their recruiting class kind of was just Marcus Smart and Phil Forte and nothing else. But as far as Ari Murphy and Kirby Gardner, but uh, Marcus Smart is the only one with any stars at all. And he had five of them. Yeah. Well, Forte became a nice college player, but no, Forte got no love there. (laughs) Um, but for what I'm curious to see, I'm really excited to see Isaiah Miranda. That's number one for me. I, I could talk a lot about the freshmen, which obviously trips like this serve to benefit them the most ultimately, but Isaiah Miranda is kind of basically sort of a freshman. Uh, he's got a really very weird basketball journey that we all, we kind of talked about, um, a little bit earlier on in the summer, but it's a guy that was a top 60 recruit, uh, ESPN top 60 recruit left high school early, went to NC State, enrolled early last winter slash spring, practiced with the team, didn't play in a game. Then after the season, put his name in the NBA draft, went through the pre-draft process, got feedback from teams, and then put his name in the transfer portal and left and went to Oklahoma State. So he hasn't played a college basketball game despite being in you know the program for quite some time and he fills a very obvious need that Oklahoma State has right now which is interior depth 
Brandon Garrison is McDonald's All-American, but I do think that it will take him a couple of months at least to adjust to the college game and even more time than that to adjust to what should be a crazy Big 12. Uh, And they also picked up Mike Marsh in the transfer portal, who's literally just a big guy for depth. But Isaiah Miranda could, you know, theoretically work his way into a starting lineup spot here. And I'm really curious to see. The dude hasn't played much actual live basketball, it doesn't seem like, in the past year. Uh, So I'm really interested to see how he looks. Uh, I don't know, like I said, who Oklahoma State's going to be playing against, but working him into the rotation is going to be, and working him into the fold, uh, because he's a guy that came, you know, so late on in the summer. He was the last addition OSU made I'm pretty sure so seeing how he sort of fits in is going to be something I'm curious to to monitor and follow as well as uh you know point number two is here is who's going to stand out as Oklahoma State's alpha top scorer Mm. Uh, my problem with Mike Boynton's offense in Oklahoma State basketball in general basically since Kate Cunningham has left has been the lack of a primary scorer and a lack of a guy to really turn to consistently when the offense isn't flowing and be like go get a bucket Bryce Thompson, I've been waiting on Bryce Thompson to become that for the last couple of years, but it just hasn't quite happened yet. Um, but he's someone I'm definitely monitoring to see, you know, his aggression and his, you know, assertiveness as far as the offense goes. They brought back John Michael Wright, who kind of sort of also was that guy for stretches. Um, for Oklahoma State, he was a, a mid-major transfer. He started out at high point. Uh, he played last year averaged I think just under 10 points a game but he would go off in spurts but that consistency wasn't there uh and they picked up someone in the transfer portal Javon Small from East Carolina who was that guy uh he I think was around 19 and a half points a game uh for an East Carolina team that I don't think was very good Uh, I don't remember but there's no way they won more than like 14 games in the AAC uh but that is a guy that at the very least is comfortable with the ball and they the ball in his hands and working in isolation. Um, and I'm also, uh, you know, this isn't more of an observation, just a talking point. Uh, Eric Daly's having a really huge summer. Um, he was with the United States under 19 team uh, when they were doing, I believe that was the FIBA under 19 world cup. Uh, Mike Boynton, I think was on that coaching staff too, but Eric Daly was playing in that. He got consistent minutes. He was pouring in double digit points almost every game, but playing a lot. Um, so this is just a really like big summer for him. And I think of the freshmen, he's definitely ready to contribute the most right away just because of like all this really high level competitive basketball that he has under his belt from his time, you know, at the U19 championships um, and then to this trip to Spain. Uh, so I think of that crew, I'm expecting him to, you know, take that big leap first. And I think that, you know, this big summer he's having is a big reason why. A lot of new faces, a lot of new pieces coming in. That's kind of the norm in college basketball. How does Boynton do with the culture piece, the getting guys to fit together aspect of it? Uh, I mean, that's difficult. And I think that's honestly a big portion of why now is the right time to make this trip. Uh, John Rothstein put out uh, actually this afternoon of just like randomly returning scoring production to the Big 12. Oklahoma State uh, is somewhere close to the bottom. It's, it's not all the way in last, but it's like 10th or 11th or maybe 9th at the highest. Things like this are critical for maintaining team chemistry. There are a lot of new faces. It's Bryce Thompson and John Michael Wright and a couple of reserves and Keon Williams. That's kind of it. I mean, a good portion of Oklahoma State's contributors are going to come from that freshman class and transfer portal. There, I mean, to my knowledge, hasn't been – I feel like this much turnover in Boynton's tenure 
And maybe that's a good thing for him this year in Oklahoma State. Some of the consistency hasn't necessarily fared well. And, you know, OSU did lose a fair bit, guys that were around for a while. But I feel like maybe having the opportunity to essentially have as close to a fresh slate as he's had probably since his first year um, might not be the worst thing in the world for the program heading into a pretty critical season for him this year. So I don't know. I'm excited to see how he's going to manage, how, you know, manage rotations, manage these guys, but maybe, you know, a, a change in what an off season looks like going into the season will be the worst thing for Oklahoma State's basketball. It, it's funny looking at Oklahoma State needing some change. And then the other two programs that are represented on this show, needing some stability, right? Duke and Kentucky out in front of a lot of the one and dones, but their big thing has been, can we get some, some continuity? It's funny to see the teams heading in a little opposite direction, but to your point, Landon, about that, it just felt kind of stale for Oklahoma state last year. And some of that, you know, is the offense not being up to snuff. I mean, the three point shooting wasn't good. Is there any hope for that this year? Are there any tweaks in place that you know of, or is it just hope they shoot better? Well, that aspect, uh, Oklahoma State has opted to go in the mid-major route to try and fix this. Uh, It hasn't really gone very well. Uh, I believe it was the Cade Cunningham tournament team. I was really excited about Fair and Flavors, who was a guy they picked up from Cal Baptist that uh, brings in a similar shooting brings in a similar shooting profile to the guy they picked up out of the transfer portal this year from a mid-major school, Jarius Hicklin from North Florida. Uh, Hicklin's like a 38% shooter. So that I don't think has changed. They're going to hope that the freshman can come in and make, make some threes. Hope John Michael Wright, uh, cause he was a pretty good shooter at high point, but he really struggled. So the hope is that year, uh, my hope is that, you know, after a second year in the big 12, you know, how fast the game's going to be, you know, you know, the quality of looks you're going to get. Um, I'm hoping that that will only help out his confidence. Uh, and then you hope that Jarius Hicklin can maybe shoot, you know, 34, 35%. But that element, uh, that has not changed. They're going to hope that the mid-major transfer that has experience scoring the ball can come in and, and do that um, and hope that the guys they have take a leap. But I, I, it is very reasonable to expect, you know, with the basis of what I just said, for a guy like John Michael Wright to improve as a shooter because he came in with that pedigree but wasn't consistent enough from outside last year. Gotcha. Matt, anything on Oklahoma State you want to add or ask? Yeah, I want to see these freshmen. So uh, please blow up the, the group chat with any highlights you're getting because I'm I'm all ears for them, Like especially some of these big guys like Eric Daly or uh, Brandon Garrison. So I'm, I'm excited for that. And uh, yeah, I think just as a whole, it's, it's, it can be valuable to do trips like this. And it's also important that the results don't always matter. Uh, the last time Kentucky lost on one of these trips was the 2015 38 and one team lost to the Dominican Republic select team in like their sixth game down in the Bahamas. And then they didn't lose again until the final four. So uh, I know plenty of these teams. I I remember last year, Auburn famously lost to the Israeli team. It was on the SEC (laughs) network and uh, (laughs) the Israeli people were like in the, doing the Auburn thing (laughs) in the mentions of the final score tweet from Auburn. Uh, That was a a great summer basketball moment that I remember, but 
Uh, yeah, I'm just, I hope that they're fun and that they have, they have highlights. I think with the amount of transfers and just talented players, this is going to be a good team building trip for them. And I'm fascinated to see what, what teams they end up playing because I feel like, especially with how many teams are going on these trips, especially to like Spain and Italy, uh, I'm fascinated to see what teams become available and what players, cause it's, it can get pretty makeshift. And I'm sure, especially like it's one thing when you're playing Duke in Kentucky or Oklahoma state, but like Harvard's going to Canada, things like that. Who are you going to find that wants to come play Harvard? So fascinated to see that. Landon, any final thoughts on your pokes before we turn over to Nebraska ball? Uh, no, I think, I think, I believe I've said my piece. So I'm all good. Excellent. Okay. So Nebraska basketball heading over to Spain, their last foreign trip, uh, first year of Fred Hoiberg. They go to Italy, um, Italian Luca Virgilio set up a lot of that did his thing. Uh, but they're going to Spain. Tim miles took a team to Spain, uh, closer to the end of his tenure, a few years before that, uh, Nebraska won its first three games in Italy. I dug and dug for the results of that fourth game. And it's apparently been lost to the ages, which is one of Oh, they did. Okay. So four and oh, because they won all those and then they didn't like they I think they won as many games there as they did uh the rest of the year. <laughs> they won as many there, they won more than they did in Big Ten play. Yes. We know that much, at least, which is kind of insane. But there are two things that stick out to me for what I'm gonna be watching for Nebraska basketball on this trip. The first one is pace. That's something that uh Strick and I have talked a lot about on the block dating back to last season. Nebraska didn't always know when to to push the ball ahead, when to get out and transition with numbers, and when to slow it down. They really slowed it down. And that's fine, except that the offensive execution in the half court was far from flawless. It was not exactly a well-oiled machine at all times. So the nights that Nebraska looked good, it's because the movement was there. Guys were engaged, energetic on offense. You know, they were whirling dervishes, as it were, you know, around Walker in the high post, Greasel in the low post backing someone down with his old man YMCA game, which I still love shouts to <laughs> Sam at the summer league in Vegas with the Celtics. Um, but Nebraska needs to push it more. I still don't completely buy the half court execution this year, um, especially with the new phases as they work their way in Nebraska. Does, it's not even stealing easy points, but take the easy points that are available, right? Make that one extra pass Michigan state style up the floor, move it up that way. That's not to say take the first available shot. You save that for Casey on a heater. But if you can get the ball in the front court, put some pressure on the rim, that goes a long way. And I don't think Nebraska did enough of that. So I hope that Fred has coached them to find a balance between what he wanted to do his first couple years and then the way they slowed it down last year. Yeah, I'm kind of fascinated just to see. I mean, it, it's really unfortunate that Casey, I mean, I, he's getting great experience playing for team Japan again, but it, it's unfortunate that he won't be a, a part of this team because I feel like you, you can't just tell someone else to go do what Casey does. It right. won't end well. It'll drive everyone insane. So it's the offense is going to be different. And it's, I mean, you lose a lot of value in this trip by not having one of, if not your most important player back. So that's, I, but still, I think it'll be a I'm excited to see some of the development opportunities on this trip. And Rink Mast has been selected to the Netherlands camp. Yeah, he's um, gone too, right? 
And that mm-hmm. is that a guy then um, I'm assuming that also won't be available for that Correct. trip. Yeah, that is a big bummer um, because of the uh, of the transfers, I was sort of excited, uh, most excited about him um, and his skill set. I've talked about it a lot. He reminds me a lot of college Iowa State, George Niang. Um, and the international basketball experience is good, but it also is a different game playing FIBA rules, shot clock shorter, there's some awesome. goaltending rules. It is awesome. Um, shot clock shorter, weird goaltending rules. So that is, uh, I will have to side with Matt. Honestly, that is something that has been, uh, it's a bit of a bummer because you, you said it, Casey is probably going to be the most important player on this roster. Um, but to go a little bit off of what you said, Austin, earlier, um, the offense last year felt like a bit of organized chaos at times. <laughs> Uh, there really wasn't much. I mean, it's kind of like lazy to say almost, but it felt like there really just wasn't much rhyme or reason. Like there really just wasn't much explaining it. It would just kind of operate at times in whatever, you know, manner felt good at the time. Um, so some consistency there would be nice and sort of the implementation of the evolution of what Fred Hoiberg basketball has been about um, because he's, he's had to go through some changes from what, worked at Iowa state. Um, so I'm curious to see what this, like what, what the off season has brought about for him um, and what changes he makes to how Nebraska will play. But yeah, it really is disappointing that you can't get a full look at everything. I will Go. say though, uh, I think probably the most important factor or thing that'll come out of this trip one. Yeah. I going back, you don't have two starters available that are have other like national team commitments. I, I kind of question why they, I mean, if they knew this was coming, maybe it was planned for too long in advance, but it's like, why not push this back a year or something? Like Duke hasn't done one of these trips since Zion and RJ were coming in. So it's, it's not like you have to do it every four years, but I think it's going to be important to see, you know, how Aaron Euless looks on this, on this team, because one thing that I kind of took away from listening to some of John Calipari's press conferences over the last few weeks Besides the fact that he was butchering the Lil Wayne lyrics saying like, oh, Lil Wayne told me real G's move in silence like lasagna. He butchered (laughs) that like four times. But he also had a prediction that with all these foreign trips and with the current state of the transfer portal, he's predicting at least 10 or more grad transfers by the end of this summer. And by guys just not happy with their playing time, starting to be you know, unsure of their situation, things like that. And then they, of course, finish their summer classes and are able to hit the portal if they graduate over the summer. So Euless kind of does, like, he can really stake a claim to the point guard spot and, you know, make Fred and the crew feel better about it. And if things are a little sketchy, then they'll probably, they might be pursuing some grad transfer point guards after this trip. So I think that's a that's a big piece where you don't normally it's almost like you're a professional athlete like you know you have to perform or you're cut sort of deal where it's like you have to perform or you'll be replaced even before your first season starts. Yeah. I'm glad I'm glad you brought Euless up because I think he starts. I really do, especially with Casey out. I think he's going to be one of those guys that Fred Hoiberg trusts enough to start. But that's that leads me into the second thing I'm going to to be watching. And that's the young guards. We went over this in one of our first episodes, just how many there are on the roster. I'm curious to see how many of them Fred Hoiberg is comfortable playing together. I'm curious to see who's taken a developmental step 
who's in charge of handling the ball because Casey Tominaga is going to play more off ball. He'll have the ball in his hands a ton, but I don't think he's running the point. Jamarcus Lawrence did some really good stuff, especially as the year went on. Has he continued to grow as a shooter? Sam Hoybert, what does he bring? Is he the same guy? Has he added, you know, anything to his game or is he just Mr. Reliable off the bench? Ramel Lloyd Jr., he's in studio with us. It looks good, looks in shape. I've seen seen the mixtape. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he's played with high-level talent before. That's a guy I'm excited for, but he hasn't done it on the court yet. So there's a lot of young guards. Then you add in CJ Wilcher, who I think is best at the two. Does he slide up to the three to get some of his minutes? And then it ties into pace as well. Nebraska isn't huge. Nebraska is not also overly athletic with all the guards and wings that they have without a true big man outside of, you know, Blaze Kata mass is a little undersized to play the five long-term is Nebraska aggressive on defense. Do they have their guards get up in opposing ball handlers and wings to try to force those turnovers to lead to runouts? Because without Emmanuel Bandemel, the point of attack with Juwan Gary working his way back from injury and Blaze Kata as a charge taker, not necessarily a rim protector. Nebraska has to do something to make opponents uncomfortable unless they prove they can operate defensively in the half court. But like I said, with the young guards, they've got to go out and show it again. Blaze Kata is another guy where I almost would say, you know, the line for when you have your baseball teams like clinched a postseason spot and you just got to, or like at the end of spring training, the bubble wrap line of, like how much do we really need to see of him? Like, let's, let's not risk him getting potentially injured on this trip, not to speak that into existence or anything, but <laughs> knock on wood, but I did just see two big men get hurt over this off season. And he's a guy they really could, they really need him to, you know, stay healthy at least at the beginning of this year. If they don't add more grad transfers up front either. Anything else on Nebraska basketball in Spain from either of you? Uh, I'm just excited to see the uh, the Hoiberg bump for Ramel Lloyd Jr. Um, that's I, that's something I talked about earlier in the summer too. Uh, Coach Hoiberg has a very, very good track record with these sit-out transfers as they were um, in the age before NIL and immediate eligibility and all of that. Um, and Ramel Lloyd is sort of – kind of almost Isaiah Miranda-ish in a way, in a sense that he's just sat there sure. and developed. But of course, Lloyd's been in the program for longer than that. Um, and, you know, Fred's got a great track record with getting guys that have literally sat and not played basketball and just sat there and developed and practiced and learned uh, for them to be quite valuable contributors. I mean, heck, Delano Banton was one of those guys uh, and he's just, you know, signed a nice contract with the Boston Celtics. So I'm excited to see um, what uh, Ramel Lloyd brings to the table when he uh, finally, you know, gets the training wheels off, so to speak, um, and really gets to start flying around in the Hoiberg system. Yeah. I'm excited to get my first look at him too. And I mean, I haven't seen the mixtape yet, so I'm, I'm just going to be pleasantly surprised when, I don't know if I'll get to, I'm sure there'll be highlights, but uh, if I have to wait until those BTN plus exhibitions or whatever, like I'm, I'm excited to see what he's got. All right. We have about five minutes left. We got to be out of here by eight to get too hard of a Husker with Prashawn Jackson. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you my Nebraska basketball TBT team. Tell me if I got it right or who you'd replace. So I went three guards, uh, three wings and two big men for my roster breakdown. My guards, I have Lance Jeter, who's one of my all-time favorites. Dude's a stud, criminally underrated, kind of the Levante David of Nebraska basketball. 
in some ways. I have Glenn Watson Jr. because he's fun. We need a guy like that on this team. Love me some Glenn. And then Ade Dogenduro. It was between him and Sec Henry for that that last spot. I leaned Ade. I think he was a little better defender, uh, all Big 12 type of guy. On the wing, I have longtime pro over in Europe, Jason DeRusso. He's a stud, represents Nebraska well in a couple foreign leagues. Even got his number retired by one of his teams. I got Siobhan Shields. Again, another one of my personal favorites, a guy that's playing some good basketball overseas. This is probably going to be the most uh, controversial inclusion. I'm going to throw Lat Mayan on my team. I really um, am. There, there are other guys I considered, but if Lat just knows his job is to park in the corner and shoot and be adequate on defense, I think he's a decent 3 and D wing option that Nebraska didn't have a lot of. So I know, I know it's Lat Mayan, but I'm a sucker for that archetype. I went with them. And then my bigs aren't huge, so I think we're going to play some Miami ball. I got Walter Pitchford and Isaac Copeland. No D. Walker. Yeah, I, I was going to He's busy with the tryout, so. Um, yeah. It seems like some um, ex-G leaguers or ex-Summer League players, like literally dudes that were just coming off of Summer League rosters, are playing in this. Uh, like I saw uh, Eric Stevenson, who's at West Virginia for a couple of years. He's playing on West Virginia's alumni team. So I think if if you can find a way to squeeze like Derek Walker, Derek Walker, and if Sam Breesel would go for it too, those would be two great guys for a uh, for a Nebraska TVT team. But I do like your list. You went way older. I kind of just like jotted down some recent guys that I thought might be. Great. Yeah, same. Like Shamil Stevenson would be fun. He's playing some good overseas basketball too. He's a nice okay. like archetypal, uh, you know, big athletic wing that would be fun. Um, who else? I was kind of surprised no Thor love, but like I yeah. feel like story of Nebraska basketball, uh, at least recently, like that's a guy that has been around even longer than some of the players I mentioned earlier. Um, so he would just be, you know, a good vibes guy as he was. And he's also a, a fine basketball player and doing well overseas. I'm trying to think if there are any others, though, that you didn't mention. I wrote down Ty Webster, which I know is a little bit yep. before my time. Mm-hmm. I had he's, him. He's playing uh, in Australia, I think, which is one of the more – Yeah, he's from New Zealand. Yeah, it's one of the more competitive uh, – basketball over there is one of the, one of the more competitive uh, leagues in the world. So that's uh, – that's one, but other than that, it's a solid list. I'm very excited, and I talked about this with you both off the air, but I'm quite sad. Uh, I believe of our three schools, Oklahoma State was the only one that sort of kind of had a team oh. going. Yeah. Uh, and they have, uh, they were in it for a couple of years. Uh, the last season, they were, they were slated to be in it right before 2022, and they dropped out at the last second. Uh, and it was a bummer because it doesn't look like they've uh, re- recirculated for this year. So that made me sad. It was always a, a nice way to keep up with like former OSUers. And they had some other like schools mix in too, but it was always, it was nice to like just see, you know, what those guys were up to, where they were playing, and for them to play basketball yeah. again. So, that's been sad. Very sad boy hours. But anybody else, Matt, that I missed? Oh, I've got – I made a list. Uh, Glenn Watson was also on my list, so good call yeah. there. Um, I got a couple other kind of random guards that, you know, would be kind of fun to see what they would do. I kind of went on the younger side with them. Uh, Manny Bando, Emmanuel Bandamel, <laughs> if he's Love healthy, it. that'd be fun. Also, why not Alonzo Verge? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Sure, why not? Why not? Sure. <laughs> At the two, uh, 
I, I had a couple. Uh, I mean, I think a big one we left off was uh, James Palmer Jr. Yeah, uh, he's been playing overseas for a while now. Um, <laughs> I, had, I had one kind of ridiculous one for the at the two uh, Kobe King. Finally get to see him play for Nebraska in some sort. I have no idea what he's up to, but like put him on this team. He's at Valpo still, I think. He's still in college? I believe so. No way. Okay. Last year. Um no, this is would be fun. I liked sorry, what was that? Railed the ending of the show. I've got to know now. Um (laughs) Um, a couple other ones I had. Uh, I mean, Trey McGowan's would be a fun one. Um, I liked Isaac Copeland as well. Uh, Tanner Borkhart, I think. If he, I don't know if he still plays basketball or not, but he would be kind of a fun one. And then, I mean, you do have to put in like Brant Banks and Noah Vedral as well. If you're <laughs> like have them on the bench in the headbands, get them, get them ready. Also. One more chaos one that would absolutely rule, even though he technically transferred away, but put Teddy Allen on the team. Yep. Teddy Allen was on my list. The other guys that I had, Ed Morrow, I didn't know if he counted. counted Nebraska, I'm a big Ed Morrow guy. Um, Benny Parker, Kansas City's finest, put him on the team. And also Brandon Ubell, Husker legend. Uh, So that's where I ended up. Gentlemen, we got to get out of here. We got Vershawn Jackson coming up. Thanks as always for your time. For Matt and Landon, I am Austin. This has been the Corner 3 on 93.7 The Ticket. We got Heart of a Husker with Rashawn Jackson coming your way in just a sec. I'll talk to you tomorrow on the block from 2 to 4, but we keep it going with Ticket Weeknights. VJ, next. Thank you.